Hey, pod listeners, welcome back to another episode of What Are You? I'm Paula Thomas, and I'm joined as always with my co-host, my brother, Mr. Stacey Thomas. What's going on, y'all? So we're going to get into a variety of topics today around the Emmys, The Little Mermaid, The Duchess of Sussex, lots to get into in a segment we call What You Think. You ready, Stace? I'm ready. All right. First up, recently, Halle Bailey of Chloe and Halle is starring as Ariel in the live action version of Disney's The Little Mermaid. And this has caused some public outrage because Halle Bailey is black. And some people are upset because in the Disney animated version, Ariel is white. So Stace, uh, what you think? So Little Mermaid was originally written by Hans Christian Andersen, a European, a long time ago. And so there has been many interpretations of many of his tales that he's put forward. And so I find it interesting that when it comes to having a person who was black play a particular part, the anti-blackness kind of really seeps into the conversation. Like, no way we can't have Ariel be black, you know, she's she's got to be white. And you start to think, ask yourself, like, why is it so important mm-hmm. for Ariel to have one particular identity? I mean, and also she's just, she's a mermaid. <laughs> she's not real. <laughs> she's a fictional character, absolutely. Yeah, so it's not real. Some people may give an argument of like, well, what would you say if... T'Challa of the Black Panther was played by a person who was white, Mm. even though Black Panther is a fictional character. I mean, the setting is technically in Africa. That's the whole, that's part of his identity. Yeah, you're correct. So there's a, there's a setting with where Black Panther is set that squarely puts him in Africa and the whole fictional area of Wakanda. Mm -hmm. So they clearly have a black identity. Mm -hmm. In The Little Mermaid, there's no clear that the mermaid has a white identity. Or Caucasian identity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not really clear on that. And, you know, I just really find it interesting how I think what I'm hearing is some people feel like it's being co-opted what they think is theirs. Mm. And they're starting to have some feelings about that. I go back to one of the oldest books ever written, Mm -hmm. the Bible. (laughs) And a lot of times Jesus is actually described as having bronze skin. He grew up what is now known as the Middle East, mm-hmm. he he's not going to be white. <laughs> I mean, Jesus was not white. I mean, it's just so clear. But like now all these representations, of course, here in the United States, it's white and it's used to put forth certain ideals. And if you think about too, I mean, religious icons like Jesus is in- interpreted differently around the world. Yes. You know, there are Christians in Africa and they look at him as African. Yes. So I think it makes sense for people to kind of put their own self-identity upon another figure that they really are interested in, like. Yeah, I think it's weird. I mean, it's under the sea. I mean, the ocean's everywhere. (laughs) You got crabs talking. You got flounders. I mean, come on. Right. But it seems like this topic has come up before. Yeah, I mean, also, you know, recently, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings... There's been a new Amazon Prime show called Lord of the Ring, Rings of Power. And in some of the casting choices, some of the characters are black. There's a elf that's black. There's a dwarf mm. that's played by a black woman. And some Tolkien fans are having a hard time with this. 
they're like, how how can the elf be black? Aren't they supposed to be white or a dwarf? Like it's it just fictional characters. Right. There aren't any elves. There, there aren't any dwarfs. No. Yeah, when I was reading about this, um, I was also reading, like we talked about earlier, how Black Panther is set in Africa, that J.R. Tolkien, when writing The Lord of the Rings, you know, was basing it on this European mythology. And if we're going to be true to Black Panther, then our should be then be true to treating uh, Lord of the Rings as strictly a European white story. But then that belies the fact that there were people of color in Europe uh, throughout the centuries. Right. Uh, and so in human history, it doesn't make sense. And then when you get into this realm of elves and and dwarves, then it just seems more ridiculous at that point. Yeah. And if people actually read some of the life that J.R.R. Tolkien led, like he actually was, you know, he was very against the persecution of people that weren't white. Like this was one of his tent poles that people mm. don't seem to kind of understand. They get caught up in like, well, I didn't see people of color in the Peter Jackson movies, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Lord of the Rings. So then That's you put true. A, there weren't really any in that one. No, there was not. Good movies, but no, there weren't, uh, you know, any people of color representation. So when people say like, okay, I hate the conversation that happens. I'm, I'm hearing this a lot. I wonder if you're hearing the saying, they're like, oh, Hollywood's becoming too woke. Mm-hmm. They're just putting people of color in certain roles because they want to be more woke, whether that's people who are people of color, people who uh, identify as LGBTQIA or maybe differently abled. Like, or Muslim. Or, like, it's just like it's Hollywood being woke mm-hmm. and not being, quote unquote, like how it should be. And what I'm really hearing is this, this whiteness. And it's also sometimes a portrayal of female characters. I'm, I'm hearing this a lot, too, where, you know, maybe some action heroes are supposed to be these white males. And so when you put another person with a different identity in it, like people are like, well, wait a minute. Well, I don't you, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. And I'm just bracing myself because, as we know, uh, Daniel Craig has said that his last James Bond movie was his last one. Mm-hmm. The and last, so the, the last James Bond movie that came out was his last one that he was going to start. Exactly in. that that was the last one he's doing. So we know it's a money making franchise. Doesn't mean there's like not going right. to be any more James Bond movies. I mean, the original one, Sean Connery. You know, mm-hmm. there's been several people. Yeah, this but, is like a a fifty sixty year franchise. Yes. So there's there's going to be other people to play James Bond, mm-hmm. and inevitably, I mean, for a long time now, Idris Elba has been tied to the Mm -hmm. James Bond role, as well as maybe even some other black British actors. And I've actually even seen maybe even some black women be Mm. be put out there for the part. It hasn't started yet, Mm -hmm. but I am bracing myself for the inevitable vitriol that will happen Mm -hmm. because James Bond might not be a white male character. Do you feel or do you worry about, is it going to come from, do you think that vitriol is going to originate in the UK with this character originates or do you think it's that James Bond has become like a world figure and so that it'll it'll come from all places it'll come from all places mm-hmm. it'll come from all places and i obviously i know you know the british media they'll end up trying to spin it a certain way mm-hmm. um they're, they're they're intelligent but you know and they try to be subtle with some of their racism but yeah, it's not going to just come from the British media. It's going to come from all over. It's going to come here in the United States. It's going to come from other, you know, traditionally white countries, let's say. Like, that's going to be problematic. Mm-hmm. And I actually see it the other way. I actually think it's exciting that 
people from different backgrounds are who didn't, and this is a thing, traditionally did not even get the chance to play these roles, mm-hmm. are now getting the opportunities here and there. I'm not saying it's overwhelmingly they're mm-hmm. getting a lot of opportunities, but they're starting to, and that's a big thing. There's actually a reboot of Quantum Leap, and the main character is a Asian-American that's male. Right. That's right. That's right. Well, let me ask you, Stace. You know, you said that uh, some of the criticism is this wokeness. Um, what do you think about that argument? It, it doesn't hold weight. I think you've brought this up a lot of times, Paula. We're like in a uh, more of a global market. Um, people know what's going on in different parts of the world. Um, the new Predator movie features people, indigenous First Nations people, mm-hmm. as the main human perspective on the show, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an action movie that just Netflix released called RRR, which is centered around people from the country of India, so Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. It's one of the biggest films streaming mm. right now. So mm-hmm. it's like hitting like a really big audience, When which you alluded to, Paula, like when there's different kinds of representation out there that has potential to reaching an even larger audience rather than just the portrayal of of Mm -hmm. white people. And white people from a white American perspective as well. Yes. You know, when you make a show, I'm assuming that you just want people to watch it. You know, that's the whole point of putting it out there. And you increase visibility, you increase also, and also just think from an artistic standpoint, you get more... uh, nuances you get more um ways to look at a character or scene when seen from a a different body and those can those can be subtle those can be large but it just adds some more interest into a story you know i mean like i I watched that new predator movie as well not really into (laughs) the predator franchise not really my genre but you know what i was curious i wanted to watch and like you said it was a First Nations, I believe it was also, it was a woman was the was the main character yes. as well. So it just gave it a different perspective. Yeah, I mean, what you're really seeing is more people are able to tell their stories. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, uh, women and people of color weren't able to tell their stories. Right. And so that's why you had content dominated a lot of times by white males in writers' rooms or uh, producing studios. And so folks didn't really get that kind of opportunity. So now we're starting to see some awesome, awesome, I think, uh, ideas and imagination that can tap into not just one group of people's vision, but so many different people's vision, which which is awesome and terrific to me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And speaking of different views and different uh, media. Recently, Queen Elizabeth II recently passed after 93 years. And her passing, which took up a lot of media coverage, also brought up a lot of other things when it came to the British monarchy and Britain's role in colonization. So Paula, what do you think? Yeah, I think she was 96 years old. My fault. Um, yeah, give, give the woman her extra years. She lived them. Yes. Um, yeah, there's a lot of talk about this, uh, about the relationship that Britain will have with countries that uh, were part of the British Empire, one of their former colonies. I believe there's also a coalition of countries that includes um, uh, many of those actors called the Commonwealth. 
Uh, some of these countries still have the British monarchy as their head of state. Some of these countries still have the British monarchy on their money. I believe that Bermuda last year uh, uh, separated from the British monarchy. And I believe Jamaica, before the queen died, had already started the process or, or at least said publicly that they plan to um, remove the British monarchy as their head of state. And so as all these countries decide what their relationships will be in this next part of the 21st century, um, I don't know a ton about all of these countries. Um, I don't think I'm, I'm smart enough or knowledgeable enough to, to comment all of that. But I am sure all of those countries um, and hopefully all those people in those countries will advocate for themselves about what they want and what they want their futures to look like. And I look forward to hearing from them and learning as well. But one topic around the monarchy I do want to comment on was the British press's treatment of Meghan Markle. Now, we all know who Meghan Markle is. She was a former American actress who was biracial and married to Prince Harry. And during this time, the British press like were on her about like she couldn't smile right. She couldn't hold the flowers correctly. She wasn't she was making faces uh, there were articles about how the crowd didn't want to talk to her, didn't want who snubbed her and didn't want her to see her there. And I was just like, oh, my God, like, look, this woman showed up at her husband's grandmother's funeral, you know, was gracious, got out there publicly and then left. Like, what is it you need from her? And I it, and there was even a, a hashtag trending on Twitter, I believe it was called uh, Megan Go Home. And I was and it was really great to see. Uh, Americans answer back and really call out people on their on their racism and even some of the Brit uh, the American media call out the British media on their racism. I mean, Americans know what you know racism looks like pretty well, so we can spot it fairly quickly. But uh, at least that part was good to see that they were being called out upon it. Yeah. So a lot of people might say that's not racism mm. by doing that because they're not necessarily clearly and explicitly pointing out her cultural background is a reason why they're saying that. Mm -hmm. But when you compare it with coverage of, you know, Kate Middleton, mm -hmm. it's, it's clearly racist. Yeah. I believe there was a lot of initial backlash with Meghan Markle and Prince Harry after they did that Oprah interview, when they talked about their experiences within the Royal family and with the British media. And of course, there were a lot of Britons who are not, you know, all in love with the monarchy, but there was a lot of pushback and a lot of criticism for them on that interview. But all I will say is, I believe people of color, when they talk about their experiences in white spaces. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I definitely believe them. I, I, there's never going to be a time where like, are you sure? Mm -hmm. Oh, don't you think you're overreacting? which is very common right? in which you hear the first response when a person of color says like, you know what? Something doesn't feel right. And you should be like, okay. I, I believe, Because a lot of situations, I mean, to be honest, you never do know a hundred percent. There's some, I mean, well, sometimes you do know a hundred percent, but there's certain situations where it's not clear, but you kind of get this feeling mm -hmm. and you're like, hmm, yeah. And then to have somebody who would doubt you in your feeling doesn't feel assuring because it feels like we're making it up. Right. And I think that's one of the insidious things about racism oftentimes is that when people of color talk about their experiences, they get downplayed. They're not believed. 
It's all in their head. They're playing the race card. There's all these different ways that society pushes back on you. And it kind of makes you feel like you're the crazy one. Like you're the, you're the problem. It's, it's you. It's supposed to... Um, they're not really seen for whatever reasons that they, ha- you know, they have. Yeah. So, so what, what, uh, and I've also seen this from some well-meaning white folks. Yeah. Like, so they'll be, oh, I didn't see that. Mm-hmm. They're not necessarily saying, are you sure? But they're mm-hmm. like, oh, I don't, I don't know. And they might even bring up something else that, that other, how that other person interacted mm-hmm. with somebody else who was also a person of color. So to them that like disputes like their their algorithmic logic thinking their boolean logic well if they were cool with this person of color like why would they do that mm-hmm. to you as another person of color or a woman or, or you know a person mm-hmm. who identifies as queer it doesn't compute for them right you know that's why a lot of people had a hard time understanding like wait a minute people who voted for trump weren't necessarily racist if they also voted for obama mm-hmm. and i go well both those things could be true mm-hmm. <laughs> At the same time. Yeah, you could still do racist things. Exactly. Even if you do some great things as well. I mean, I guess, you know, it's complicated. Yes. And instead of just putting a label on everybody like, you're wrong, you're racist. What we try, I guess what we try to do with this pod, right, is we try to talk about the nuances of that and that we all have stuff. You know, right. Like, you know right. I mean? right. Like, and we all have, uh, there's also, there are all other groups that we don't belong to, that we have to understand and be humble about and think about and and admit when we, you know, when we cross the line and just be honest about it. Like, hey, man, like, my bad. Yeah. Thanks for calling me out on that. I need to, I need to hear that. Yes. All right. So moving on to our last topic. So show creator Quinta Brunson of ABC's Abbott Elementary. Check it out. Wonderful show recently won an Emmy for Outstanding Writing for a Comedy Series. She also stars in it. During her acceptance speech for the Emmy, late-night show comedian Jimmy Kimmel decided to do a comedy bit and lay down on the stage while Quinta was accepting her Emmy. Many folks thought that Jimmy Kimmel's comedy bit took away the spotlight from a Black woman receiving a high honor. So, Stace, what you think? Yeah, I know this was for us at the time of recording a couple of weeks ago. And so some people might have say like, oh, that's kind of old stuff. And actually, since then, Quinta Brunson actually went on Jimmy Kimmel's show mm-hmm. to kind of talk about the incident. And Jimmy Kimmel was very apologetic. He even said like, if I, in so many words, like if he were to do it again, he would not have done that. Mm-hmm. For sure. So that's that's truly and. And so the question then becomes... And she was gracious. And she was very gracious in terms of that apology. I, I know leading up to that, a, another star on Abbott Elementary, who also won an Emmy, Cheryl Lee Ralph. Woohoo! Yes, yes, national treasure. If you haven't seen her acceptance speech, check it out. Check it out. It's great. I, I get, Apparently the story is backstage. She even called, called out Jimmy Kimmel, basically mm. said, like, you ain't right. Mm-hmm. It just basically said. So I think Jimmy Kimmel's heard a lot and has actually really reflected to, you know, to praise him a little bit and started to understand like, okay, maybe this wasn't such a good idea. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it wasn't his intention. Right. But as we've talked about a lot of times on this podcast, you might have a certain intention that's not necessarily the impact mm. that happens. It could be different. And it hurt. I mean, when that happens to us, I know that hurts, mm-hmm. you know, because we're like, oh, I, 
I really didn't mean to do that. Mm -hmm. And we also a lot of times want to tell people we didn't mean to do that. Right. And want that to be it. Now, again, Quinta really graciously accepted the apology. Mm -hmm. And so the question then becomes, since Quinta accepted the apology, he was reflected, he had the mea culpa, could that be the end of it? Should that be the end of the comment? Mm. Should Can other people who were feeling some type of way about Jimmy Kimmel taking the spotlight away from Quinta, should they also like no longer be upset? Or do they have the right to still be upset? Mm-hmm. 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 I mean, it's hard. Like I, one, I don't like telling other people what their feelings should be. People are going to have their own feelings and I may agree or disagree with them, but they're, your, but they're your feelings. So I'm not telling you like, you should feel this way. That's a difficult question. I hear what you're saying, Stace. It, it brings up to me the whole, so Jenna Jackson had a documentary out in the past year. If you guys haven't seen it, it's really fantastic. I love Jenna Jackson. Had the Control album when I was a kid. Loved it. Had a Rhythm Nation t-shirt. Lost my mind. Of course, there was that whole Super Bowl incident that she had with Justin Timberlake. Mm -hmm. And in her documentary, she was like very explicit and like, hey, you guys leave Justin alone. You know, you guys, you know, everybody's been mad for like over a decade since this happened. And a lot of people, maybe I say a lot of black women will say, um, at least on social media, are like, no, we're still gonna be mad. We're still gonna be mad at him for that. It was inappropriate. And Janet absorbed all the damages. Yes. And he skated by. And he, and he faced no repercussions from it. And it, it seems you're right. It seems like Janet Jackson had done some healing. Yes. She's worked it out. And she's fine with it with her own self. Mm-hmm. Um, she's moved on in her life. Can we still be mad at Justin Timberlake? And granted, it's hard because those are di two different situations, of course. You know, Justin Timberlake actually impacted Janet Jackson's career as opposed to Quinto Brunson. Um, I, don't, I don't think that incident is going to impact her ability to continue to write her show and to create. So I don't know. What do you think, Stan? Well, yeah. So when you have public figures and there's an incident that's in the public eye mm -hmm. and it has repercussions, especially for people who are representative of the backgrounds of the people that were looking at those public figures. And so there's some harm that has been imparted upon somebody else. Yet when there has, like you mentioned before, some healing between those public figures and they moved on, we might not have gone through that right. healing process. Mm -hmm. Like have been that reflective mm -hmm. of it. So I think we, you're right. I think we still have ownership of our feelings on those things. Like it is fine. So, this is super obscure, but in 2017, the Dodgers were playing the Houston Astros in the World Series. Pitcher for the Dodgers was of Japanese descent. He gives up a home run to the player for the Houston Astros. After he jogs around the bases, the Houston Astros players takes two fingers to his eyes and tries to make those the derogatory Asian eyes in order to show show up the picture. Slanty eyes. Slanty eyes. Yes, he does that. Mm. He later apologized. To the Japanese pitcher, and the Japanese pitcher was like, yep, mm -hmm. that's cool, let's move on. And some people say like, well, people shouldn't be upset anymore because the pitcher, the Japanese pitcher said, all right, that's cool, let's move on. Mm -hmm. I haven't moved on <laughs> from that. that. That's not okay with me. Right. You said, I didn't process or heal from that, and that's okay. I don't, I don't think I need to like move on. Mm -hmm. I still hold that player. I do not look at that player in any kind of favorable mm -hmm. light. That's some BS to me. You don't, you, you, you know, I'm sorry. At the end of the day, we're just saying that we are allowed our feelings. Yes. And 
but our feelings are our own, I guess. Well, our feelings are our own. And again, we're talking about people in the public eye. Right. So this is different from maybe something that we know like firsthand. Mm-hmm. Like something that happened at your work or with your family, which you may have an easier time pro- having time to process with others, etc. in terms of whatever harm was impacted. Mm-hmm. But when it's in public figures, we don't always get that opportunity. Right. Because a lot of times that healing that takes place doesn't usually happen in the public eye. Mm-hmm. It's usually behind the scenes. And yes, statements are released and things like that. We don't know how true that is. That's true. You know, we're not really seeing that kind of that development really happen or experiencing it over time. We just kind of get these, like I mentioned before, press releases and statements and things. So mm-hmm. it's hard for us to maybe possibly do that. Mm-hmm. Or you know what, for for other people, that hurt was like really bad. Like I just don't. It could even conjure up your own experiences exactly with that. No, so it's been really great to have all these sort of topics, you know, in entertainment. And I think entertainment's a really accessible way for us to talk about these topics. Yeah, yeah. so the media is big and we know there's a month until the midterms and we'll try to get another pod in between there whether right before the midterms or right after Mm -hmm. and definitely talk about those thanks what are you pod listeners for joining us for another episode please follow us on instagram at what are you pod where we will release posts when we have new episodes if you have any topic ideas feedback or questions for us Please email us at whatareyou1619 at gmail.com. Yeah, and if you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts, feel free to drop a review. And if you're listening to us on other platforms, such as Stitcher or Spotify, make sure that you are subscribing so you know when a new episode pops up into your feed. And you know how irregular that can be. We lead busy lives, y'all. We lead busy lives. But thank you so much. We always appreciate your ears and minds and hearts. I'm Paula Thomas. And I'm Stacy Thomas. Stay safe and healthy. And don't forget to vote. Spooky Calavera on the beat, y'all. Mm.